This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. And hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Mike Adams sitting in again today, wrapping up my week, filling in for the vacationing Mike Pearson. He'll be back with you on Monday. Today, we're going to be talking with the CEO of the Clean Fuels Alliance America. Donnell Rehagen will join us. We'll talk biodiesel today, some positive developments going on for that industry. We'll bring you up to date. And we'll get a Washington update. Always look forward to talking with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. He's busy uh, traveling his state of Iowa. He's going to check in with us a little bit later on. And we have a Farm Progress Show preview coming up. Farm Progress Show not very far away, August 30th through September 1st in Boone, Iowa. And we will tell you all about what's planned for this year's Farm Progress Show a little bit later on. But we're going to start things off today, a look at the markets with DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman. Todd, good to talk with you again. Thanks for joining us. Mike, it's so good to talk to you. I'm I'm glad to hear you're doing well here. Doing very well and uh, have missed talking with you about the markets. Let's see, it's been about eight months or so since I've been on here. And, um, well, a few things have happened up and down with the market. It's been a wild ride, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it sure has. This uh, little thing of a war in Ukraine got in the way. We we had a drought in South America earlier this year. And of course, we're in the middle of uh, yield guessing season here in the U.S. So you're right. There's been a few things going on. Yeah, the guessing game is underway for this year's crop here. I want to mention, though, uh, they are starting to do some planting in Ukraine uh, under challenging circumstances. Uh, we'll be watching that closely. Boy, uh, it, it, it's it's hard to wrap your head around how they continue to farm through such mm-hmm. tough conditions. And of course, in eastern Ukraine, in southern Ukraine, where the fighting is more intense, uh, it it just seems next to impossible. And of course, that uh, is probably where the areas are hurt the most. But even uh, away from those areas, uh, there's there's still troubles, and it's not a risk-free venture this year. And I think the sad news, Mike, is we're hearing that a, a lot of farmers just won't have access to credit next year. A lot of them uh, are really getting hurt financially this year, and, it, and it's hard to say, but um, the president of the Ukraine Grain Association said he expects 50% of those farmers to be bankrupt by the end of this year. That's mm-hmm. obviously not a good picture. No, we'll be watching that closely. It It is amazing. You think here, when we go to the fields and plant or going to the fields to harvest, you think about the challenges of weather and things like that. Can't even imagine what it must be like if you're out there trying to plant or harvest or, or move grain when your country is in a war. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And we have seen those ships starting to get out a little bit uh, with uh, with grain. And, and while it's not as much as usual, it's amazing any have gotten out. Yeah. Uh, you know, early on, I thought this whole idea of Russia allowing ships out of Ukraine was just ridiculous. But, I, you know, I've proven wrong on that point, gladly proven wrong. Uh, it's glad I'm glad for the Ukrainian farmers uh, to see that they are getting some grain moved. 
I have to say, in terms of the world picture, I, you know, I, I hate to be the heartless analyst that points out that these are very small quantities in terms of world grain. The, um, I think the, the emotional impact to prices has been much bigger than the actual pro, uh, impact of actually incre- increasing supplies or, or changing the fundamentals of the world uh, grain supply situation. But uh, the, the, no doubt the Ukrainian farmer is desperately dependent on getting that grain moved out. Uh, and, and of course, with this year's harvest, they need a place for all that to go. And as we can imagine here, once, you know, once that crop comes in, you've got to get it moving. Well, let's talk about, as we called it, the guessing game for this year's crop. It's underway. Uh, going to be so even more next week with crop tours and things like that. How do you see markets reacting as we head into harvest? Do they um, move around based on what these crop tour reports are? Or, or will the markets take more of a wait-and-see attitude for when the combines are actually rolling? Yeah, I, there's going to be volatility, no doubt. And, uh, of course, We've seen volatility from a lot of directions uh, this summer, from outside market events, from weather, and now you're right. We're going to be paying more attention uh, to what the the yield estimates are saying. I think the one that really matters is going to be the September 12th WASD report, not because uh, I'm necessarily a big fan always of USDA's estimates or what they come up with, but it is the first time they're getting into the actual field data observations. And so you have to give that some uh, respect. Until then, it's a lot of guessing. We had our own digital yield tour here at DPN, uh, a collaboration that we do with Grow Intelligence, and they focused uh, very keenly on all the the growing crop conditions in every county across uh, the Corn Belt. They actually came up on quite the low side, 167 bushel estimate for corn and 49 bushels for soybeans. Now, I don't necessarily know that those numbers are going to stand as final estimates, but it does tell me that when you compare the actual weather and temperature and soil moisture conditions to the past five years, I think there is reason to believe that these corn estimates at least uh, could come in lower than the what they're predicted right now. So would that lead to a harvest uh, price rally then? Yeah, you know, we had quite a sell-off in the month of July already, and I have to wonder if that's going to be the low for the season. Uh, now, but that would be remarkably early. You know, typically we get that harvest low about early October, um, but given uh, the big speculative sell-off that we've already had that sent us to the July low near $13 on, on November soybeans, uh, uh, I, I just have to wonder if, if the seasonal low uh, is in. So uh, it could be a year where the harvest pressure doesn't seem to be having the same uh, strong bearish impact that it does in other years. Quickly, your thoughts on the wheat market? Yeah, well, you know, I, I think uh, <laughs> for a guy that's looking at the wheat numbers and world supplies, and by the way, USDA's estimating global supplies of wheat outside of China at their lowest levels in 15 years. So uh, to see wheat go down day after day after day and hit new lows here on Thursday uh, is quite perplexing to me from a fundamental standpoint. Emotionally, uh, I get it that, you know, the story of ships moving out of Ukraine has been compelling. Um, 
and and uh, we do have rain in the forecast this week for the the southern plains, so that's encouraging for planting conditions coming up here. But overall, I, I think the wheat prices have been overdone to the downside, probably uh, possibly just as much as they were overdone to the upside during the war. Todd, good to talk with you. Take care, and um, I'm sure you're you're ready for farm show season. You're going to be talking with a lot of farmers, so uh, have a good uh, good fall. Yep. Good to talk with you. Such a pleasure. Thank you, Mike. Take care, Todd Holtman, DTN lead analyst. All right, lots going on with biofuels. We talked ethanol yesterday. We'll talk biodiesel today. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers, and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. As growers consider cover crop options, the Seed Innovation Protection Alliance would like to remind you that many small grains are protected by some intellectual property and are not allowed to be used for seed production. Talk to your authorized seed dealer for information on your cover crop seed options. The Seed Innovation Protection Alliance thanks growers for buying new, professionally produced seed from authorized seed companies and dealers. To report a seed infringement, call 1-844-SEED-TIP. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. 
So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. And welcome back. Mike Adams sitting in uh, one more day here for uh, the vacationing Mike Pearson, who will be back with you on Monday. Well, my next guest, I last saw him, we were in Las Vegas for the uh, annual meeting for then still the National Biodiesel Board, now the Clean Fuels Alliance America. That name was uh, unveiled at that meeting in Las Vegas. CEO of Clean Fuels Alliance, Donnell Rehagen, joins us. Hi, Donnell. How are you? Well, good morning, Mike. I'm great, and it's great to hear you back on the air. Thank you. I remember you unveiling that sign and uh, letting people know about the new name. Are you used to it yet? Pretty much. I mean, uh, once in a while, still fumble there a little bit. But, yeah, we're very proud to be Clean Fuels Alliance America. And, you know, recognizing the broader number of fuels now that we're representing, biodiesel, renewable diesel, and sustainable aviation fuels. So we're excited about it. I remember you talking about that uh, in January, and a lot of those things you talked about uh, we're starting to see come to fruition, opportunities uh, coming up, uh, including uh, in this new uh, government spending bill creates more opportunities for biofuels. Well, it does. One of the things that you know is most important for us is the extension of the biodiesel tax credit. Uh, that credit was set to expire at the end of the year, and you know, Mike, our trials and tribulations over the years with that credit as Congress has m- multiple times allowed it to expire, and it's just a, it sends the wrong signals. And so we were excited that uh, this bill the, that was just passed includes an extension of that biodiesel tax credit uh, for the next two years as a straight uh, extension. It, it changes a little bit after that for the next three years, but we basically have a five-year extension of the biodiesel tax credit. So that's, a, that's great news for us. After living year to year and usually a year or two behind on that, having five years of, of somewhat some certainty on that, that, ha- that has to really give uh, more confidence to those in the industry. Well, not only the confidence, but you know, certainly sends that strong signal that the federal government is in this for the long haul. Uh, they want to see our industry grow. They want to see more of our fuels out in the marketplace. And so then, of course, it makes it a little bit easier on our members to uh, find fellow investors to expand these plants and expand their production. So lots of, lots of, lots of good out of that prospective nature, that tax credit. I was talking about this yesterday. We were talking ethanol yesterday. And uh, I, I've mentioned throughout the week my reservations with this new uh, government spending bill. I have a lot of concerns about some of the things in it and the fact we have more government spending in inflationary times. I have concerns about that. But I'm happy about the the conservation portion of it and the biofuels portion of it. And to me, it sends a signal. And we were wondering this a couple years ago when we saw this big push starting to happen with the, on climate issues. We were wondering whether or not uh, the government would actually acknowledge the place biofuels could have in this push to help achieve some of these goals. And it would seem with this uh, spending bill that at least that is happening. They are acknowledging the role of biofuels. 
And that's great news, you know, for us, Mike, of course. Uh, you know, electricity still continues to get a lot of the attention around the Beltway and beyond, and, and there's certainly valid applications for electrification and transportation. But we've always believed that uh, we have as much to offer, if not more, than electricity from a renewable standpoint. And also the fact that we are here now. We can really decarbonize a transportation system starting today if they want to just simply start using our fuels, not needing to wait for an investment in infrastructure, uh, distribution, you know, any of that. It's our infrastructure, our systems are ready to go today. We're talking with Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the Clean Fuels Alliance America. Donnell, are we seeing growth in that infrastructure for biodiesel? We are. You know, the, the government has also stepped into that space to help out a little bit over the last several years. Uh, some infrastructure grants that were put into place through USDA, uh, we, used, we referred to that as the HBIP, Higher Blend Infrastructure Incentive Program. Uh, and that's been in place for a couple of years now. And the, the goal there is to uh, make more of our renewable fuels, including you know, biodiesel, renewable diesel, but also ethanol, available uh, more widely across the country. And so our producers, our blenders, our distributors downstream have been able to access those, those grants to be, build out a, a um, more robust infrastructure. And this bill that was just passed as well includes some funding to extend that and to change some of the provisions to maybe make it even more uh, exciting for those that can take part in that. Have you fully rebounded, or how far along are you in the recovery from COVID? Uh, as an industry, I think we're in great shape. Uh, you know, everybody stumbled a little bit. The, the diesel demand remained extremely strong through COVID. Um, there was barely a drop-off. You know, goods were still needing to move around. In fact, arguably, they, there were more goods moving around then because of everybody getting a lot of these deliveries to their front porches. And so we saw very strong demand for diesel. Of course, our friends in agriculture, you know, uh, continue to do what they do. So, uh, so our production remained very strong, and uh, we're, we're still strong today and growing. How big of market potential do you see aviation fuel and uh, renewable aviation fuel? Yes. The, domestically, uh, there's about 24 billion gallons of jet fuel that's consumed in the United States. Uh, so the, you know, sort of the sky's the limit, no pun intended there, with uh, you know, what our industry can do with that industry as well. And so it uh, kind of remains to be seen. There's not a lot of actual production of sustainable aviation fuel yet, particularly here in the United States. So, uh, again, this last bill not only extended the biodiesel tax credit but established a sustainable aviation fuel tax credit. So... Uh, it's kind of waiting to see the potential producers of SAF. Is that credit going to be enough to entice them you know, to more deeply look at producing sustainable aviation fuel? As you know, uh, SAF is made from the same feedstocks right now that biodiesel and renewable diesel are. So um, that's the question those uh, producers are looking at, and if that incentive is enough to get them to make more SAF, then I expect we'll see a lot more of that in the coming years. Speaking of incentives, what are you seeing by individual states or groups of states across the country in moving to more biodiesel? Well, you know, we've we've always wondered if there was going to be any sort of a federal program that would, you know, uh, incentivize or mandate the use of our fuels, biodiesel, renewable diesel, and uh, that's never that's never come to fruition. And we've seen a number of states. Uh, 
up on on both coasts as well as here in the Midwest, putting their own programs together. So this last uh, in the last 24 months, we've seen uh, legislation in Iowa, we've seen legislation in Missouri and Illinois, all passed that would uh, establish demand for certain volumes. It's all different. Each state kind of approaches things differently, uh, and we see the same thing in the Northeast with the heating oil industry as it begins to transform itself from a petroleum-based fuel to a renewable-based fuel. So Connecticut, Rhode Island, New York uh, have enacted mandates there to, to inject uh, and use biodiesel in heating oil across their entire states. And so we expect is, to see more of that. Yeah, and that's been a growing market for you already. It has been. We've, we've worked very closely with that industry. We feel there's sort of a brotherhood there. Uh, similarity between how the, our industries uh, operate. And so they need to clean their product. They can't continue to offer that same product they did 50 years ago to the homeowners in the Northeast. And so we are the, the solution that they've agreed that they need. And it's, uh, their long-term goal is to be 100% biodiesel by 2050, so a total replacement of petroleum fuels in the, in the heating oil sector. So uh, lots of opportunities for our industry, whether you're uh, – pushing fuels into the airline industry, the rail and marine market, on-road market, home heating oil. So uh, I think we're very well positioned uh, for the coming years. Yeah, your future looks bright, I think, with those opportunities. Uh, But you recently had a chance to kind of also uh, acknowledge and celebrate your past. You had a ribbon cutting at your office in Jefferson City, Missouri, kind of looking at the history of the National Biodiesel Board over the years. We did. Well, as you mentioned at the top of the call here, uh, you were with us when we officially launched our new brand, Clean Fuels Alliance America, um, in January at our annual conference this year. It was in Vegas. and uh, But we wanted to take the chance here in the local community, uh, Missouri and Jefferson City, where, I'm, uh, where our headquarters is, has been instrumental in the growth of this industry. It's all grown out of this uh, this office here in Jefferson City, Missouri. So we did take the opportunity. We had our governing board members in for a planning meeting, and we took the opportunity this week to celebrate with the local community. The governor of Missouri came over, and uh, we just had a really nice event Tuesday morning here and made it official in the state of Missouri that we're now Clean Fuels Alliance America. Well, you've come a long ways in a relatively short period of time, still overcoming the hurdles and obstacles, but things are looking uh, much brighter for uh, biodiesel. And Donnell, it's good to talk with you again and, and help tell your story. Thanks a lot. Take care. All right, Mike. Thank you. Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the Clean Fuels Alliance America. All right, up next, we'll talk with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Are you headed to the Farm Progress Show in Boone, Iowa this year? If so, stop by the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth to see all the latest in tires. Also, Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live all three days there from the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth. That's booth 928. Stop by to watch the show at 9 a.m. And that's in Trelleborg booth 928. We'll see you in Boone at the Farm Progress Show.
Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at the trade so far, the wheat market is trying to hold on to some green numbers here while the corn market is relatively firm, much like it was in the overnight session. Soybeans are down double digits with uh, weakness in the meal market while bean oil is trading slightly higher here as we work through the morning. Now, yesterday, we saw the wheat market sharply lower as spec funds added to their net short positions more. Yesterday's weekly export sales report saw wheat exports falling to marketing year lows and Ukraine continues to ramp up shipments out of its black sea port so that was all weight on the wheat market trying to recover a bit here today corded soybeans new crumb bean and corn exports uh, were pretty good yesterday soybeans more than double what traders expected last week with a marketing year near its end both quarter beans expected to meet the usda's export projections However, beans are seeing some of the gains we saw yesterday getting paired here today as worries about China's economic data and tensions over Taiwan continue to be an issue. Now, also, wheat prices are seeing the small gains after the rain forecast from the National Weather Service shifted a little south, limiting the benefit to fall planting conditions for winter wheat. Crude oil is down slightly. Here's a work through our morning. We're watching that market, of course, closely as well. It's at 90.34 a barrel. The Dow Jones down 221 points. A few numbers in the trade right now. Corn December, that's up one, 616 to three quarters. November beans down 15 and a quarter, 1390. September Chicago wheat up two, seven thirty-three and a half. KC wheat September up six and a half, eight nineteen. Spring wheat September up four, eight fifty-six and three quarters. Hogs October down forty-two, ninety-two, eighty-seven. A little follow-through pressure there. August feeder cattle down ten, one eighty-one forty-two. August live cattle up forty, one forty-one sixty-seven. October up eighty, one forty-five fifty-five. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills. Our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination, our honesty, our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, welcome back. This is Mike Adams sitting in this week for the vacationing Mike Pearson. Mike, will be back with you on 
Monday. You know, I've enjoyed this week reconnecting with uh, some uh, good friends and people I haven't talked with since I went into retirement uh, the end of last year. And it's been good to catch up with them. And one of the people I really wanted to be able to talk with, and I'm happy we're going to be able to do that now, is Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. Senator, good to talk with you again, just like old times. Uh, yes, we did it for years and years, and I hope you're enjoying retirement. Uh, you know, you're in agriculture, journalism, farmers never retire, so why did you retire? <laughs> well, I'm just kind of uh, on the bench in case they need to pull me back in the game every now and then like they have this week. So and I know you're uh, touring the counties of Iowa and uh, talking with folks and also checking things out on your farm. How do your crops look? Uh, very good compared to last year. You know, last year we didn't have rain in July. We did get rain in August, so our beans were the best beans ever, but our corn was a little less than uh, normal. And uh, this year it's the opposite. Uh, both corn and beans look well, and uh, I, I keep track of rain from May 1st to October 1st. So a year ago on I think August 8th is the last day I remember. We had nine inches last year. This year we have 17 inches. So that's the difference between having a good crop uh, or not so good crop. Yeah, you're about the only one, one of the few in Congress that would keep track of those things and, and know those kind of numbers and the importance of them. So as you're touring the state of Iowa and talking with folks in each county, what, what are you hearing from them? What's the top of mind issues for many of your constituents? Well, then let me speak, first of all, for all the people with the different issues, and then I'll touch on a couple that deal with agriculture. Uh, number one, uh, well, I guess these things affect the farmers, too. Uh, high cost of inflation, cost of living, the price of energy, particularly people putting gas in their cars. I hear from them, but it ripples through the entire economy affecting farmers, and then uh, not having uh, border control. In other words, people entering our country illegally, crossing the Rio Grande uh, to get here to the United States and the president not enforcing laws. When it comes just to agriculture, I think waters of the U.S., uh, my cattle bill to help uh, farmers that want to market daily rather than contract uh, is getting a lot of questioning, and obviously the cost of diesel. You know, speaking of immigration and that border issue, which is such a critical issue to our to our country and to national security. I heard uh, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell today say uh, he doesn't see Congress tackling anything with immigration because it's just too toxic. And I think, well, that's such a critical issue. Uh, and to kind of just say, well, we can't do anything about it, so we're not going to try. I know there have been many attempts over the years, but what's it going to take, Senator Force, to get some kind of comprehensive immigration legislation passed and enforced? A necessary first step, and I think this is probably what, uh, when you quote McConnell, I didn't hear it, but I guess he would be talking about the fact that we make laws that you can't enter our country without our permission, and the laws aren't being enforced by the President of the United States, and then consequently that has poisoned the water to discuss anything in immigration. So what would take would be the President continuing to build the wall, 
which in itself is an enforcement of the law. And then I think we could, could sit, sit down and have a very bipartisan conversation on uh, on immigration. And if the president will do that, and I become chairman of the Judiciary Committee, assuming Republicans win the majority in the Senate, uh, I'll tackle that. We're talking with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. I have expressed my concerns this week, Senator, about the, this latest spending bill that has been passed. Uh, they call it the Inflation Reduction Act, but I don't see how it's going to reduce inflation, especially what I hear from a lot of economists and even the CBO. Uh but I've acknowledged there's some good things in there for renewable fuels and, and for conservation. But I have just overall concerns with some of the other things that are in there. What are your thoughts on this bill and what we're going to see from it? Well, it was passed on a partisan basis. So the Democrats didn't want us at the table. So you can imagine that 50 Republicans voted against it. And I would uh, agree with you that it's not going to fight inflation. Instead of being inflation reduction, it's an Inflation Enhancement Act. And there's two pretty key uh, common sense approaches. We're in a recession by two quarters of negative growth. Uh, so you don't increase taxes uh, when you're in a recession. And then when you have 8.5% inflation, the other rule of thumb is the common sense approach is you don't spend more money and feed the fires of inflation. So those are the macroeconomic reasons why we voted against it. But there's also things that put a tax on manufacturing that's going to lay off 210,000 people, according to the National Association of Manufacturers, and uh, things like that that are... Uh, kind of uh, very much uh, irritating about the whole bill. But the most important thing is uh, for Republicans to vote against it, the Democrats didn't want us at the table. Do we really need 87,000 more IRS agents? Uh, no, we do not. And that's another thing. You know, they're talking about uh, not affecting people below $400,000 a year income with these 87,000 people. They're already spending all the money uh, on IRS to uh, go after the top 5% of the richest people in this country and then go after the corporations. So what's left if you hire 87,000 other people? They're going to go after the farmers, the small business people, the middle class of America. And instead of spending $80 billion more to finance uh, uh the IRS, we ought to be able to have them be more efficient and effective. And the number one way they could be effective is when you call up the IRS, you ought to get a real person and you ought to get a real answer to your questions. I saw you on TV today talking about a topic that you're very involved in right now. And I think it's a concern really for the whole country or should be. And that is uh, people losing confidence in the institutions of our government uh, in particular, uh, a, an agency like the FBI and the concerns that you and many others have about it being so politicized uh, that it's gotten away from the what it was intended to do. Uh, tell us about your efforts in this and what you're you're trying to get done here. Yeah. Well, first of all, when I raise questions about the FBI, it's a central office in Washington, D.C., if not the dozens and dozens of FBI agents we have out here in grassroots Iowa, 
they're doing their job. I don't hear any complaints from Iowans about FBI agents in Iowa. But at the top of the level, there's obviously political bias. You have the most recent one invading uh, the uh, President Trump's home, uh, and uh, then you, you, a similar-like situation. You have to negotiate with with uh, Hillary Clinton before they settled with her, and she wasn't charged with anything. Then you know about the political bias of Russia Gate, about Carter Page and the FISA uh, applications to uh, to spy on him so they could spy on the Trump organization. And, uh, you know, you can have a dozen other things. And more recently, I put forth uh, the uh, thing about uh, 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 a special agent by the name of Tebow uh, that, uh, that uh, was in charge of giving a go-ahead for investigations or stopping them. So he stopped one on Hunter Biden when there was evidence of criminality, sound evidence of criminality, uh, at least to go forward with the investigation. No, he stopped it, and he went ahead with an investigation of Trump based on fuzzy newspaper advertisement, uh, uh, not advertisement, but stories. And then uh, you have the situation where I expose this. Uh, uh, Director Ray moves him out of that position. But this is just all of this stuff that I'm talking about is just evidence of political bias, uh, culturally deep within the FBI over a long period of time. So the bottom line of it is pretty simple. Uh, people ought to have extraordinary confidence in the FBI. They're losing that confidence, and it's up to Ray to make sure that he tells the world he's got a plan to make sure that this political bias isn't involved in the FBI anymore. That's what it's going to take to restore confidence in the FBI. Senator, I'm so glad we had this chance to catch up again and uh, have another conversation like we've had so many over the years. I really appreciate it. You take care. You bet. You enjoy your retirement, and I know you're going to enjoy more what you and I just did, then you're going to enjoy your retirement because you sound up to the work yet. Thank you very much, sir. Take care. Iowa Senator Charles Grassley joining us as he uh, continues to uh, visit with folks back in the state of Iowa. And uh, coming up next, speaking of Iowa, the Farm Progress Show will be in Boone, Iowa, August 30th through September 1st. So it's uh, getting really close. We're going to have a report, a preview coming up for you next. We'll let you know what's going to be going on at the Farm Progress Show. If you're headed to Boone, what you'll need to keep in mind and uh, be looking for when you get there. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. 
The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Are you headed to the Farm Progress Show in Boone, Iowa this year? If so, stop by the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth to see all the latest in tires. Also, Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live all three days there from the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth. That's booth 928. Stop by to watch the show at 9 a.m. And that's in Trelleborg booth 928. We'll see you in Boone at the Farm Progress Show. As harvest begins, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to be diligent in taking the proper precautions to ensure treated seed does not enter the domestic or export grain supply. When properly handled, seed treatments are an effective agronomic tool that provides seeds the necessary protection for a strong, healthy start. Completely remove all treated seed left in containers and equipment used to handle harvested grain and dispose of it properly. Always be careful to follow state and federal guidelines for proper handling, storage, and disposal of treated seed. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. We gather together in communities across the nation to remember and honor, to celebrate and support, to light the night. Join us as we lift our lanterns high in order to move toward a world free of blood cancers. Join us as we light the night for a loved one. 
Join us. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Our mission is to cure leukemia, lymphoma, Hodgkin's disease, and myeloma. Our aim is to improve the quality of life of patients and their families. Join us. We are LLS, and when we walk, cancer runs. Join your community and help bring light to the darkness of cancer. Join us as we light the night. Find your local event at lightthenight.org. That's lightthenight.org. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. And welcome back again, Mike Adams, sitting in for the vacationing Mike Pearson, who will be back with you on Monday. Well, the Farm Progress Show is coming right up. Boone, Iowa, August 30th through September 1st. This Farm Progress Show preview brought to you by Trelleborg. And joining us now is Matt Youngman, National Shows Manager for Farm Progress, and Chris Neidert with Trelleborg. Matt, I'll start with you. I'm just thinking it's got to be exciting to actually have the, the whole show, people in person there in Boone. Uh, again, it's it's been a long time. It has been a long time. It's been since 2018 that we all gathered in person in Boone, Iowa, and uh, the facility has had, you know, taken good advantage of that break. It's in fantastic condition. The parking lots look beautiful. We've taken the last cutting of hay off of those. Um, everything, the, lots of tents in the air, lots of landscaping going on, elect, electrical work is being done, uh, internet distribution, just a lot of activity, kind of a, it, it just steadily ramps up. It'll slow down a little bit over this coming weekend, and then it gets, gets real crazy. It's pretty much a sprint from the Monday or Tuesday of next week uh, for that last week going into the show. How do crops look there in the Boone area? The, they look good. The, the crops were a little bit delayed going in, but we got some real nice heat through the summer. Um, you know, it, it's, it's going to be wet corn, uh, which is good for some of the folks around there who've got feedlots. They like high moisture corn. Well, we're going to have it. We're going to have, uh, it's probably going to start out in the, in the low 30s, and by the end of the show, we'll be in the upper 20s for moisture, but, but that's, that's not unreasonable, and so we're looking forward to to good harvest demonstrations and get that corn off and then we'll have plenty of, of good tillage demonstrations after that yeah we'll talk more about uh, what you have coming up for the show in just a moment i mentioned that uh, this report brought to you by trelleborg tires uh chris neidert is with us from trelleborg chris uh, what are you going to have for folks to see there at the farm progress show in boone hey mike uh, top of the morning to you nice speaking with you as well well, you know, I, I know we have one more week, but I wanted to bring up a unique thing, and uh, we've seen it on some of the publications, but our floating tractor. We're going to actually be floating a tractor in the pond uh, with Mitas tires on the tractor. It's, it's a New Holland tractor. And what we're trying to show, Mike, is the importance of flotation. And, uh, again, we're going to have these four uh, really wide tires, and they're actual tires, and this tractor will be floating uh, around in the pond. So you can go over and see it. I'm not sure we're going to give rides to the public, but we will have it uh, open on media day to ride 
But uh, that's uh, one of the unique things, again, stressing the importance of flotation, Mike. So that'll be a feature, and you'll have a lot of other uh, uh, information there for folks coming into the Farm Progress Show. Well, sure. We've got a new booth there. We're at uh, 928. We're on one of the main streets, and we're really excited about that. I say this every broadcast. This is our Super Bowl, Mike. So we're going to have quite a bit of uh, tires in the booth from tractor tires, sprayer tires, combine tires, all our sales personnel and our technical personnel are going to be there. So any kind of question you have with uh, tire performance, things like that, we'll have the experts in the booth. Plus, we're going to have our education uh, area there. Plus, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Mike is going to be broadcasting from there. So we're really excited about the show this year. Yeah, I think you ought to take Mike Pearson out there and float him around out there on that. <laughs> hey, he might do that uh, if he gets there, uh, but I'm sure we'll give him, hey, we'll give you a ride uh, as well, Mike. So, uh, yeah, yeah, please stop and see that thing. It is unique. All right. Matt Youngman, uh, what else will we see? At the, uh, well, I won't see this. Uh, this is going to be the first one I've missed in ages. Uh, so when what will people see when they come to the Farm Progress Show that might be a little different than they've seen in the past? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I got to tell you, you talk about that floating tractor. I got to drive that thing in 2018, and it's it is every, every every nerve in your body and reaction that you've ever had from driving machinery tells you to back out of that situation. But uh, it was it was pretty cool to drive a floating tractor. Um, you know, the show is it, it is it's getting its own energy. There's just announcement after announcement coming out of, of the stuff that's going on. Um, big year for Agco. They they are so it's a big anniversary year for Agco. It's the 175th of Massey Ferguson, the 75th of Heston, and the 100th anniversary of Gleaner. So there's just all kinds of of historical stuff uh, looking back, and then obviously looking forward on the Agco lot. And then uh, just that confirmation. Um, we always have the Syngenta Square, the beer garden that we we've had at, at the show for for several years now. But we've got a Another location, uh, a lot of folks would have seen the John Deere-themed Bush Light cans uh, that were distributed this summer. You can still find them out there in stores. Well, they're celebrating that at the Farm Progress Show. They're going to have uh, that Bush Light beer with the John Deere labeling uh, for sale at the John Deere lot, and all the proceeds of that go to a great organization, Farm Rescue. So um, a, a great opportunity to stop by the John Deere lot, have a, have a cold Bush Light, Bushlight in Iowa, it's kind of the, the official state beer of Iowa, so it's, it's a great combination of Iowa, Bushlight, and John Deere uh, there on their exhibit. So there's, you know, we, we talk about all the fun stuff and the celebrations, Agco, John Deere, and then the, the concert uh, sponsored by Case IH, the Lee Bryce concert Wednesday night. There's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of fun to go along with all this work stuff, all this, this, uh, this job stuff. You can have a lot of fun at the Farm Progress Show, too. What's the website people can go and get more information? Farmprogressshow.com has everything, and we're feeding content. You're going to be able to link to the show program there online. You can buy your tickets online. You can get your hotel room reserved. Uh, Just about everything you'd want to do is at farmprogressshow.com. I'd invite everybody to go and and check that out and surf around there on that website. You can also obviously follow us on all the social media channels as well. We'll be feeding content there. Uh, download the smartphone app, kind of like having the show program in your pocket. 
Have a great show. That's Matt Youngman, show manager for Farm Progress, and Chris Neider with Trelleborg. This Farm Progress show preview brought to you by Trelleborg. Thanks for joining us. It's been fun to sit in this week and uh, catch up with, uh, with a lot of old friends. Thanks to Mike Pearson for letting me sit in. He'll be back with you on Monday. Thanks for joining us on AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.